What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you guys are checking out Ethos Fantasy BB. I've been saying it consistently now for the last couple of months. There is so much content in there that you guys are going to love. There is more than 20 articles now live in our draft guide. You can find it at sportsethos.com and also by going, like I consistently say here on the show, on Twitter at Ethos Fantasy BB. Still trying to build up that page as much as we can, so I'd really appreciate any support you guys can throw on it over there. I did see uh, five or six new followers come in overnight, so I do appreciate you guys Uh, listening and going over there and clicking that follow button because it really does help us out. Every little bit does help. We are approaching the one-year mark of this show and the baseball side of Sports Ethos in general, and we still do need your help, and I really appreciate you guys who have gone and done that already. But today, we are going to continue with starting pitcher rankings. We had a lot of fun yesterday. I had a lot of fun yesterday going through pitching. I used to be a pitcher. I've mentioned it a few times on the show. I wasn't a crazy good pitcher. I was pretty good for my age. I realized fairly young that I was not going to be pitching for money in this life. But at the same time, I still enjoy talking about pitching, evaluating pitching, and going through the different rankings that I have put together. We've done a top 100. Uh, that will be up at sportsethos.com with write-ups this week. I've posted the first 50 of them on Twitter. And if you guys missed yesterday's show, we went through the top 10 But today we are going to go through, I'm not going to put a specific number on it. We're going to start from 11 and we'll see how much I end up rambling. Because yesterday I intended on going a lot more than 10 names deep. I just ended up talking about each of them for a good five, seven minutes a piece. And we ended up going more than an hour. I do like to keep the shows roughly an hour. I know that there's five of them coming at you a week. If you guys listen every day, God bless you. I really appreciate that. I try to keep them under an hour so that it's not too, too much content. Somewhere between half an hour and an hour, and that's probably what we'll end up getting through today. So let's keep it going, and we'll start with the guy who definitely definitely caused a bit of grief here yesterday when I put these rankings out on Twitter. I'm not a crazy high engagement person on Twitter. I don't get hundreds of likes, hundreds of comments, or none of that stuff. But I got like seven or eight comments yesterday regarding just Sandy Alcantara and people thinking I was crazy that I have him ranked number 11 for the season with Sandy Alcantara. And I did talk about this on Twitter yesterday because I just kind of felt the need to defend myself a little bit. There is a lot to like. There is a lot to love. He's the reigning Cy Young winner, but there's also a couple things that do concern me with him. And I still, you know, he's number 11. You would have thought that I had him at number 45 or something like that. I still like him. I've still drafted him this season, but I'm just a little bit lower on him than generally what you would expect probably from the reigning Cy Young Award winner. And the Cy Young winner in the American League is ranked even lower. So wait till we get to him. But the pushback I got was regarding Sandy at 11. And for me, he's pitched a lot of innings over these last couple of seasons. Now, can he withstand that? Is his body capable of throwing 200 plus, 220 innings every year? I'm not sure. Most modern pitchers are not able to do that. When you look back at these last two seasons, 228 and 205 innings respectively, The short season 2020 was whatever. And the year before that was 197. So I guess with the short season in there, it does alleviate some of that pressure of going 200 every single inning. He threw 42 innings in 2020. It was not a crazy amount of workload for him. That's fine. But these last two seasons, throwing 435 innings roughly, that's a hell of a lot. That's a hell of a lot more than anybody else is throwing. I worry about whether he will be able to continue to do that again. And all the projections seem to think so. But the projections, I mean... I trust the projections, 
But at the same time, if somebody does get hurt or feel something in their arm or something pops in their elbow, there's no way the projections can really account for that. And obviously, I want Sandy to be healthy. I want him to throw 230, 250 innings. Christ, I want him to be out there as much as humanly possible. But at the end of the day, when you look at the team context, Miami is not going to win a hell of a lot of games. He won 14 games last season, and that was very good. The year prior, he had an equally very great season over 200 innings, 319 ERA. Maybe not equally as great, but pretty damn good season that he had in 2021. Over a similar number of innings, he won nine games. And we saw with Trevor Rogers, I think he won seven games. They're not a great team. They don't have a lot of run support there. And a lot of the time, they are going to leave the win on the table for either a relief pitcher or the opposing pitcher to take. So that's one factor that comes in with Sandy. You do not have that upside to fall back on in terms of victories like you do with a lot of guys within my top 10. Almost every single player on this top 10 list that I rhymed off yesterday pitches for a very good team. Probably the worst team in that bunch from the top 10 pitchers is probably Milwaukee. And with those guys, you have Corbin Burns and you have Brandon Woodruff. The team is generally going to be a bit better than Miami, and I think that with you talking about those guys, you get the massive strikeout numbers that also go along with it, which is another area where Sandy is not the greatest. His strikeouts per nine was 8.15. I believe he ranked 27th or 26th in strikeouts per nine this last season. 23% K rate. It's just above average. It's all right. It's like it's not bad. But to draft him as like a top three or four or five SP like some people are doing, there's a lot that can go wrong. He does not have that per inning upside like a Jake, uh, like a DeGrom or a Kershaw or literally anybody we talked about yesterday who are going to give you massive K numbers while pitching for good teams. So there is going to be the potential for more wins there. With Alcantara, there's a lot of stuff working against him. And there's a lot of stuff that works for him. You know, he doesn't walk a lot of batters. You know, he limits the contact pretty well. His whip is good. I'm just not really sold on him where he is generally going, which is like sometimes in the 20s and sometimes in the low 30s. Now, I drafted him on the weekend in the surf draft, which is the Canadian Roto Fantasy League. There's different leagues, like there's 10 different industry leagues, I think, or 10 or 12 of them, something like that, that are all based on like regions. There's a Canadian one, there's like a New York one, there's a California one. Anyway, they have a bunch of those ones. I took Sandy in the third round, and I took him with the last pick of the third round. So I got him at 45 overall. I believe all the pitchers that I had ahead of him were gone from this list. And I took Sandy because I think at 45, at that point, it's all right. And I did have Corbin Burns earlier in the draft. He was my second round pick. I took him uh, with the 16th overall pick in that draft. And I paired them together. And I don't usually do that. But when I got the high strikeout upside that Burns gives you to go along with a slightly better team context, pairing them together... I think that made a lot of sense because you have the high strikeout guy, the relatively lower strikeout guy, kind of balances out a little bit. I don't need to you know, rely on Sandy necessarily to give me 200-plus strikeouts, even though in all likelihood he will be healthy and he will throw 200 innings and give you those 200 strikeouts. But I'm just a little bit worried about if there is some kind of injury, if he has to miss three, four weeks of the season, then he'll get down to you know 20-some-odd starts. You won't see him accrue that value that we have these last few seasons because... He's thrown 32 starts, 33 starts, 32 starts. That's my only thing there. Now, if you guys still disagree, then take him early. There's a chance that he could be fantastic again. I had an argument with a friend the other day about it because last year he had Alcantara. I was telling him part of the way through the year, I was like, you know, the safer move here probably while he is so great is to probably trade him. You know, like same arguments that I just laid out for you guys. He thought I was crazy. He didn't trade him. At the end of the day, he thinks I'm an idiot because Sandy ended up looking great down the stretch. 
But I think the logic still is is sound that he's not giving you that same kind of upside that the other pitchers in this range are. So that's why, for the most part, I'm not drafting him where he is going. If he falls, if he's going into the 40s, by all means at that point, I think that's a really reasonable price. But if you're looking at where he is generally going, I'm looking at draft, or not draft champions anymore. We're looking at the Rotowire online championships because those are 12-team leagues. Those are competitive 12-team leagues. I think it gives you a good idea of where the smartest 12-team players are drafting. Sandy Alcantara's ADP is 28 in March. The minimum pick is 21. The max is 42. Where I drafted him, it was a different league. It won't factor into this, but it would have been outside of the maximum pick. That's why I took him because he fell, and I do still think there is safety there. And, you know... As much as he is risky, he does have a lot of volume generally. And if he does give you that volume, then there's a lot that you can like about Sandy. The raw strikeout numbers will probably be over 200, assuming health. You know, might get back up to 12, 13 wins. You know, things have to go right. There is, there's just, you know, I have to make excuses for why I'd like to draft Sandy almost in the 20s and the 30s, as opposed to the other guys in that range where I am, you know, all for it. DeGrom, I can totally make the argument because if he does miss some time, then I'm okay because of the replacement level value that I can get that would, you know, even out the DeGrom strikeout numbers. And it still wouldn't be DeGrom numbers, but when you're averaging out like a 38% K rate and what you'd find on the waiver wire, you're still looking at like 30% some odd strikeout rate. Whereas with Alcantara, 23, 24% K rate, you replace him with a random guy on the waiver wire, you know, low 20s K rate, you're, you know, you're not doing so much for your team there. You're not really setting yourself up for a great foundation, I, I don't think, if you take Sandy as your SP1. I think it's risky, and personally, I'm not doing it, but I do understand why a lot of people would still want to do it. He was the reigning Cy Young winner. He was great last season. I'm just personally not there at cost. When he falls, like I did on the weekend, I posted the draft board. I'll take him when he falls. I'm just not really there at the price. Number 12, this guy is one of my favorite pitchers in all of baseball. Alec Manoa, I don't know why he has been disrespected so very much with these projections. They, they hate him. The projections seem to hate Manoa. They don't think that he is going to be very good at all, depending on where you look. Uh, you know, Some of them are, are a bit better than the others, but generally they're calling for massive regression with Alec Manoa, and I don't really see it. Like the projected ERAs are anywhere from 3-4 until you know tick over 4 is what Steamer's projecting, a 4.06 ERA. I don't see it based on what we have seen from Alec Manoa so far at the big league level. He's made 51 starts to a tune of a 2-6 ERA, a 3-5 FIP. The XFIP is a little bit higher than I'd probably like it to be for the career at 405. But Alec Manoa, and I've talked about this a lot, there is something intangible there with him where you don't, it doesn't show up in the stat sheet necessarily. There are some players across baseball who just have that certain oomph to them. And I know, I know people who are listening for analytical stuff. This is not an analytical argument for this, this particular argument right here. Manoa just has something that's unquantifiable on the stat sheet in terms of his swagger, in terms of his ability to calm himself down, to compose himself after he's given up a big hit or he's been knocked around for a couple of batters. He knows how to get back under control and dominate. And that's what he did last season. Over 196 innings, he had a 2-2-4 ERA. He did outperform his expected metrics by like close to a run. I don't love to see that. But at the same time, the actual data for these last two seasons is a 2-6 ERA for 51 starts. It's a big enough sample size where I am willing to look at that and say this is generally who he is at this point. There are certain players where you look at some of their stats and you know sometimes the 
the pitching indicators will not always tell you the full story. Sometimes they will, you know, sometimes they're a little bit inflated for certain reasons, one, one reason or another. I think with Manoa, the reason why they are inflated here a little bit more, especially the FIP at 335, which, I mean, it's still an incredibly good FIP, 335. But compared to the 224 ERA, yes, it is a bit, it's quite a bit higher. Those metrics rely a lot on strikeout rate for those equations. And Manoa, as great as he was, one gripe that I do have with him is his strikeout rate fell to about league average. He was striking out in his early parts in the major leagues, his early time in the major leagues, 27, 28% in 2021. This year it fell just below 23%. Now he also did cut the walk rate by a couple of points, but the strikeouts did suck. And I think that that is where you see those pitching indicator metrics jump up a little bit for. If he was still striking out 27% of batters, I think it would have been quite a bit lower. That being said, I think he's very similar to Alcantara this season in terms of the strikeouts, in terms of the output you're likely going to get. The only difference really here with Manoa, I think, is a bit better team context. You know, I I think they're very close, and I could honestly flip-flop Manoa and Alcantara, which, you know, I'll probably piss some more people off by saying that, but I could could easily have put Manoa ahead of Alcantara. He was ahead of him for for certain periods during the offseason. You get the great team context. Manoa just won 16 games. He's pitching for one of the best teams in baseball. I don't see any reason why he can't win close to 15 games again, considering what he is likely to give you volume-wise and everything else in terms of the team. So with Manoa, he's going probably later than he should. He is somebody where I am definitely targeting him. I'd like to have a few more shares before draft season. Really, truly is over because... We're at the point of you know, draft season's coming up, draft season's coming up, and then it all happens very quickly. We're at the point where we've got a couple weeks left until draft season is fully done. But Alec Manoa is generally going in the mid-60s. You know, Depending on your draft room, typically going in the mid-60s. His minimum pick in 12-teamers over the last couple of weeks is 45. Maximum is 80. His ADP is 66. I think in that range, you cannot really go wrong with Alec Manoa. I'm very happy to take him as my SP1. A lot of the time, people will probably end up with him as their SP2. But, you know, we've talked about this a lot this season. If you're waiting on pitching, there's a great range of guys going in the 60 to 120, 130 range where you can really find a couple of aces in there and not have to worry about using a first or a second round pick on a pitcher. I love Manoa. I'll admit I'm a little bit biased towards him. But at the same time, when you look at the dude, when you watch him pitch, he is exceptionally talented. Watch the inning from the All-Star game where he pitched, where he was mic'd up, where they were all chatting in his ear, and he struck out the side, and he was chatting back and forth with them. There's there's a next level there for him to even unlock beyond what we've seen. I think the strikeout potential is better than 22%, 23%. And overall, honestly, if you were to have him ranked ahead of Alcantara, I'd be totally fine with it. I think that would be a reasonable thing to do. Not that we're going to do it here, because I still do think that Alcantara's probably just a touch safer based on the volume these last couple of seasons. But honestly... That could play against him, too. It plays for him and against him, depending on which side of the argument you want to look at. It's very close. Between the two of them, I I could have them either way, and I did have Manoa ahead earlier in the offseason. But for right now, it's Alcantara at number 11, and then Alec Manoa at number 12. Now, keeping going here, at number 13, I do have Justin Verlander. Now, he was the reigning Cy Young winner in the American League. I'm still very confident in what he can do for you this season. I'm just a little bit nervous. You know, he is not the youngest guy anymore. It's a, I made a similar argument with Max Scherzer yesterday. It's it's almost cookie cutter what I'm going to say here, but I trust him because 
he is he is Justin Verlander. There's no need for him to go out there after the year he just had and force another season if he doesn't feel like he's up for it. He won the Cy Young. He won a World Series. He had a sub two ERA for the first time in his career. He won 18 games. He was brilliant. I think that he's still got it in him to go. You know, most of a season. I don't know if he's going to give you 200 plus innings again, but I think he can give you probably about 160, 170 of still pretty elite Verlander innings. Now. I love the team context. I love what he individually does on the mound there, but I have him a little bit lower than probably some people will because partly the age, partly he's in a new destination. I always generally, and I mentioned this yesterday, take a guy down a little bit, a notch or two, if they are playing in a new for a new team in a new ballpark. It does vary a little bit, but generally I think that it does mess with something a little bit inside of you. It didn't really mess with anything when he went from Detroit to Houston. It helped him unlock something else when he was kind of, you know, the last couple of years in Detroit, kind of faltering a little bit, went to Houston, seemed to revitalize his career. I don't know that we're going to see the same effect now at 40 years old, going and learning a new system. Maybe it's probably, you know, in terms of what he's going to be doing workout-wise and all that and ramping up for the season is probably very similar to what he's usually done. I don't think that he's going to change his whole routine, but you got different pitching coaches, you got different facilities, you got different teammates, you got different ballpark to get used to. That does worry me a little bit. The fact that he is 40 years old, definitely a bit of a concern. Even though what I just said, like I don't think Verlander is going to be, and I said it yesterday with Scherzer, I don't think they're going to be shoved out the back door because, you know, oh, they suck now. You know, th- there's no... Uh, there's nothing left in the tank, so they're just going to pitch to a bad ERA and they'll retire at the end of the season. Like I don't see that happening with either of these guys, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to make a ton of sense to use a very high draft pick on Verlander this season. He's going generally in the 30s. Sometimes he sneaks into the 40s. He'll occasionally get up into the 20s too, but his ADP for the month of March, I forgot what month we were for just a split second there, uh, his ADP is just a tick under 40, 39.9. I don't know that I necessarily want to be paying that price. His strikeout rate did go down a little bit last season, which, you know, at this rate of your career, when you start to see that kind of fall, went from 35 to 33% down to 27%. <clears throat> it's still a great strikeout rate, but will it come down even farther now that Verlander is another year older? I just feel like last year was a bit of a miracle. You know, he did get a bit lucky last season in terms of what was happening with his pitches wasn't like crazy lucky but he shouldn't have had a sub two era like that was a miracle probably should have been somewhere closer to where the fips and x fips were which is like two five to two seven kind of range which is still elite <clears throat> i just don't see him as being that sp1 necessarily anymore if a 15 teamer i guess based on my rankings he would be but if you're talking a 12 teamer i don't know that verlander would be like an ace for me he could be and you know he's being drafted in a lot of leagues as such there's just a fear with him that I don't really necessarily want to be taking on this season. If he, you know, if he falls into the fifties or something like that, then I'd be a little more interested. I still think he's going to be very good. Excuse me, guys. I still got some, some shit going on in my throat, but I think he's going to be very good. There's good team context there. He's obviously still Justin Verlander and I don't think he's going to be terrible, but I don't think he's going to be as good as we've seen and been accustomed to these last couple of seasons. I think that the end is, is a little bit near and I don't know that we're necessarily going to be looking back at the end of the season as, you know, this is another SP one year for Verlander. Personally, I'm kind of doubting it. I'm not really trying to be drafted him. If I can, again, he is still probably going to be fine. I just don't know that I really want to be the one taking a chance on him in a year where pitching depth is so good. I you don't you don't need to be taking the chance on him. So 
why would you? That That's kind of where I am on the topic. You can wait a little bit. You don't need to draft a 40-year-old, even though he won the Cy Young. And it's tempting, for sure. But I'm just not really there on Verlander. That being said, though, like it's gonna, it sounds like I'm shitting on him. He's still my 13th SP. I still think that he is going to be really, really good. I just don't know if I necessarily want to be drafting him this season. When he falls in drafts, if he will fall in drafts at all, then maybe I'll take a share or two. As of right now, I don't have a ton of interest in Verlander, despite the fact that he is my 13th ranked SP. Based on where I have him, I don't think that I'm going to be getting him very much. Next up on the list is Zach Wheeler, and I realize I've probably pissed some people off over the course of this episode. People love Alcantara. People love Verlander. They are the reigning Cy Young winners, but I just feel like, you know, how often does the Cy Young winner repeat? And that's not going into my equation here really at all, but how often do you see that kind of elite season close to a 2 ERA, a sub-2 ERA, actually repeat again, especially in Verlander's case for somebody who's 40 years old? So... I'm just personally not willing to to pay that price. But let's keep going. Let's talk about Zach Wheeler. He is my number 14 starting pitcher. Again, I am thinking he's pretty safe. He did miss some time last season. He threw 153 innings. I think he missed about six starts. It was a shoulder, I believe. It was was something arm concern. I know there was a shoulder concern coming into the year. I'm not sure exactly what it was coming. I think it might have been his elbow. Uh, elbow or forearm or shoulder. It was something to do with his arm, which is always a little bit concerning. But when he was out there over 153 innings, it was a 2.82 ERA, you know, 3.10 X ERA, 2.89 FIP. He was still very solid. Now the strikeout numbers still pretty damn good. A lot better than what we used to see from him back in the in the Mets days. 27% K rate, below a 6% walk rate. I like Zach Wheeler. There is again maybe some concern when you have any kind of history of arm problems. There's always going to be a bit of a concern. But I'm not really necessarily avoiding him because of it. I'm not necessarily like going out of my way to draft Zach Wheeler. But I think that he is probably in a in a pretty reasonable range, all things considered. Like he's going, where is he, 55 right now in those most recent drafts. I think that that's pretty reasonable for him. I don't think we're pushing him up too far. If you're talking a 15-teamer, it's like the end of the fourth round. If you're talking a 12-teamer, then it's, what are we talking, fifth round? I, I think that that's pretty damn reasonable. 55, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty in on him. And, I, and I'm a little bit hesitant, you know, in terms of anybody who has any kind of arm history, any kind of arm trouble at all. And a lot of that does come down to the fact that I'm just so comfortable to wait on pitching this year. But if you do take Zach Wheeler, you're still getting the great team context. You are still looking at somebody who has generally a very good health history. He's thrown over 180 innings. In 2014, he did it in 2018, he did it in 2019, in 21. Even this year, he threw 153 innings, which is, you know, grand scheme of things, pretty damn good for a major league pitcher at this point. He's still giving you great production. There's no, there's no real gripes that I have other than maybe some concern that he could end up re-injuring something and missing a bit of time. If you want to just steer clear of the injuries, of the injury risk, then you can. There are pitchers going in this range that are equally as appealing. You can wait around and get Manoa. There are guys further down the list that we'll talk about today or maybe tomorrow as well like there's pitching I'm just trying to see exactly where at this point my cutoff range is probably about the 170 pick mark 165 170 in terms of guys that I'm really comfortable with starting like every week not necessarily my aces but you're talking like Charlie Morton's Kyle Wright's Freddie Peralta's Giolito Giolito is a bit of a wild card I'll, I'll give you that 
But I feel pretty comfortable waiting. If you do have any kind of concerns about injuries with any kind of players, specifically pitchers, you can wait and not need to really worry about it so much. I'm thinking that Wheeler is probably going to be safe this year. He does have a lot going for him in terms of strikeouts, in terms of team context. I, I think he has a clean bill of health right now, so that's always a great sign. I'm I'm pretty in on him. I just haven't actually taken him yet this season. But I do think where he is ranked does make the most sense. I'm not going to be pushing him below anybody else here. And there's definitely no room for him to jump ahead of Verlander, Manoa, and Alcantara in my own in my own head. But there's not he's not going to be falling below the guys. Most likely, depending on what we see these next couple of weeks of spring. Obviously, things can change if there's an injury or whatever. He looks awful, but I don't think he's dropping below 14 in my rankings. Number 15, I have Luis Castillo, and I think that honestly. If there's any potential player at all who might move ahead of Wheeler, it is Castillo because I am really, really big on him for this season. But I think that you know there's also a little bit of worry in my head about Castillo. And it's not really even warranted. I think with Luis Castillo, it'll just always come back to me that he, he absolutely murdered me for fantasy a couple of years ago. And that kind of concern will always be in the back of my head to some degree. But he is an incredibly great pitcher. And he's out of Cincinnati now, which we'll see for a full season now for the first time in his career. He got out of there for the second half of the year last year, but now we get a full year away from Cincinnati. Honestly, I shouldn't have any worries. I think it just does come back to the fact that you've burned me before in the past, and you burned me pretty badly. I predicted him for Cy Young in 2021. I felt kind of stupid about it, but at the end of the day, even in that season, he came back, and he had like a 6 or a 7 ERA. He came back and ended the year with a sub-4 ERA. This past season, he ended up with a sub-3 ERA. The pitching indicators are all pretty damn good. Strikeout rate was increased over the previous year. He was got it up to 27%, where he was at 24% in 21. Also lowered the walk rate a couple of points from 9.3 down to 7.3%. Whip is good. Team context is good. Luis Castillo, overall, is very, very good. I think that he should be able to go out there and pitch you to 170 to 190 innings, giving you probably 12, 15 win range. It's hard to, wins are so hard to predict, but I think on a good team, he is arguably the ace of that team. 12 to 15 wins is probably what you're going to see out of Castillo. I have no problem taking him where he is going. I think that he is probably one of the more, you know, one of the more friendly prices that we've seen this year going at pick 56. Honestly, he's in that same range as Wheeler. He's going to the same range as Luis, or not Luis, Julio Urias, going the same range as Gosman. Now, I'm taking Gosman from that range personally, but you can't really go wrong with Luis Castillo as much as there's still something under the surface that'll never be quite right with me there with him because of 2021. But at the same time, it's been a couple of years since he burned me there. He's not in Cincinnati anymore. He's given you great strikeout numbers for a great team as likely the ace of that staff. So no concern for me really with Luis Castillo. I think that he is very reasonably priced. He is my number 15 SP and I'm, I'm happy to take him as much as which is there will always be something in my, in my gut there. But let's keep it going. Let's talk about the next guy on this list, one of my favorite pitchers from last year. He helped me win a couple, well, specifically my home league, the one that really mattered to me. That was Zach Allen. Zach Allen was absolutely dominant down the stretch last season. He did have that 45-50 inning stretch where he did not allow an earned run. And he finished the year with a 2.54 ERA, 3.17 X ERA. You know, he was very, very solid. All those indicators are in line with the fact that, yes, he deserved a good year for you. He was a pretty clear buy after 2021. Going into last season, he was one of the players that I was targeting because, you know, 
it was one bad season and there was the you know a little bit of worry because he hadn't fully broken out over a full season before like he'd given you sub three eras in the two years prior but it was over 15 starts and 12 starts he kind of shit his pants in 2021 over 120 innings he gave you a four three era he won four games it was not great but i did have faith in him he was one of the few guys last year because we got started march 23rd last year i didn't have much time to really go through my picks and whatnot, but he was one of the guys that I definitely hit on last year, and I'm, I'm still going to be big on him for this season. I think as the 16th SP, that really is you know totally justified, and I think, honestly, like some people will have him lower than that, but when you look at what he does, he gives you good Ks, even though the Ks are probably not what you would have necessarily hoped for, maybe thinking for closer to 30%, but he's still at like 27%. He's walking a low rate. He had a whip that was 0.91%. He's pitching for a team that I think is going to be sneaky good. Arizona, I don't think they're going to be great, but I think they're going to break 500. I think they're going to push for a wild card spot in the National League. I don't necessarily think they'll they'll get there, but I think they're going to be a competitive team. I think Zach Allen is going to be a huge part of that, and I think that you know if you're drafting him, you should have you know, good level of confidence. I drafted him in TGFBI. I've drafted him in a, in a couple of leagues so far this year because the price. Again, the price for pitching this year, there are some guys – like Gallon, you're getting close to pick 70. And I think at that range, 68.6 is where he's going in March, and that's in 12-teamers. At that rate, I think you can't really go too wrong, especially in a 12-team league. Like, man, even if he doesn't pan out for you, that price is still good because, like we've talked about in 10 and 12-team leagues, there is so much value that really that's why yesterday, going back to yesterday's argument for DeGrom, that's why I would take DeGrom and reach for him a little bit in a 10 or a 12-team league because there's so much value. There's these pitchers who are being pushed down a little bit, and yet they're still – I don't even know the right way to, to properly articulate what I'm trying to say here. But these guys who are being pushed down are are great bargains, and they're also probably, you know, even if you're not sure about them, they I'm, butcher, I'm butchering this one, guys. It hasn't happened in a while, but I'm just butchering the phrasing of this – Guys like Zach Gallen, who are going around pick 60, pick 70, in a 12-teamer especially, with somebody who, you know, he doesn't have a long track record of success, or there is some concern there, like, you know, different concerns, but like a DeGrom or like an even an Otani or whoever you might be concerned with. Maybe you're still worried about Zach Wheeler's arm or whoever, Shane Bieber's arm. In a 12-team league, those guys, you can be comfortable taking them even like a slight bit higher you know, an extra few picks or an extra round because everybody's going to be scared off by them because of the injury. But at the end of the day, in those kind of formats, there is so much value on the waiver wire. You don't need to really worry about, okay, if Gallon misses a few starts, if Gallon misses, you know, six, seven starts or whatever, whereas in a 15-teamer, that would that would hurt you a lot more. Uh, but that's generally what I'm trying to say here. You push these guys up who maybe you're not so – and Gallon I am sure about, but I would – understand if you're not fully sold after one year where he was very good in the previous years where he was pretty good as well but just over a small sample size he's maybe not the best example of that point I was trying to articulate I, I fairly butchered that one a little bit but I think you guys know what I'm talking about you can push guys up a little bit who you might not be the most secure in in these kind of formats because there is just so much value that is available to you on the waiver wire so Zach Allen at number 16 I feel very comfortable and even if you don't feel comfortable, I think the price is enough to make you feel a little bit more comfortable anyway. But Zach Allen, for me, definitely somebody that I am looking at this season. I think the price is good. I have, I think, two shares so far, and I'll be happy to keep adding on to that little pile there. Diversify your player pools, of course, but if there's certain guys that you're 
fairly in on, like Gallon and the price is right, then by all means, go ahead and uh, take a chance on them where they're going. But apologies <clears throat> for the vocal mumble jumbo there. It hasn't happened in, in a while. I hope nobody shut the thing off. But who knows at this point, guys. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that nobody shut the thing off, but it wouldn't shock me because that was, that was rather awful. But we'll move on. We will talk about the next guy on this list, number 17, Christian Javier. Christian Javier is a rather polarizing player for some people. For me, I don't know why the hell Houston will put him in the in the bullpen whenever there is a need for somebody to go out of the rotation. Somebody needs to be pushed back, and it's Javier. It's been like that for the last couple of seasons. Even this year, five relief appearances. He did start 25 games, and I hope to God that there is no more of that nonsense going forward. I'm, I'm praying, I'm praying that there's no more relief appearances for Javier because last year, as a starter, and in general, 148 innings, he had massive strikeout numbers, 33% K rate, albeit with a bit higher walk rate than you want, close to 9%. ERA was 254. The XERA was 243. The FIP was 316. Overall, he gave you a stupidly good season pitching for the best team in baseball, the World Series champion Astros. I think Javier, the only concern that I have really this season is that his price is getting pushed up like crazy. Like he was going before, and let me see where he's going right now because it's probably changed a little bit. Uh, where is he? Wow. He's jumped up to 50. His ADP is 50. Christian Javier used to be going in the 60s and 70s. People are really, like, he's going in the same range right now as Dylan Cease. He's going ahead of Zach Wheeler. He's going ahead of Castillo. That's my worry with Christian Javier. As much as I like him, that he'll be priced out because I, I do like him, but there is also the concern of maybe his whip is good as it was last year. Doesn't stick because of the walk rate. Could very easily not stick. That's Kind of the big one for me is the walk rate. I need him to get that down a little bit. And he did from the year prior. You know, he went from 12.5% K rate or 12.5% walk rate down to a 9% walk rate. His K minus walk was 24.3%, which is elite. And I think that he could probably do something similar to that again. The Ks are there. The team context is there. I think the wins should honestly go up a little bit. He was 11-9 and last season with his 254 ERA. You're probably going to see more victories over the course of an entire season in the rotation, hopefully. He said hopefully, probably getting 30 to 32 games started out of him if he's healthy. I think that we could potentially see a 16-18 win season from Javier. He's a guy who could sneak up and end up being a Cy Young winner. Like I don't think it's going to happen, but for this team, with the amount of strikeouts he puts up, he might just have a gaudy win total that the old school voters will like to look at. Maybe he ends up with 18-4 and four record or something like that, giving you a Verlander-esque season. Well, he's striking out 30-plus percent of batters, and the team is you know winning 155 games because that's what the Astros do every year. Like I could see a path where Javier is the Cy Young winner. I think where I have him here at 17 is totally fair. You could potentially even argue that he could be ahead of Gallon, and that's why they're right beside each other, of course. And I do probably say that a little bit too much. You could argue this guy over this guy, and it's kind of just me going through my own process because – where I have a guy ranked beside another guy, usually you could flip-flop them. A lot of the time, that's the way it works with rankings. They're more tiers than they are solidified. Like, yes, he is absolutely 14. He is absolutely 15. A lot of the time, you could make the flip if you wanted to. Javier does have better team context than Gallon. He will get more strikeouts. I'm worried about the control more with Javier and the fact that I think Gallon will be throwing more innings. But I think you could probably have them going in either way there at 16 and 17, and I think you'd be totally all right with it. 
Let's move on, though, to number 18, and that is Mr. Max Freed. I think that he'll probably get the ball for the Braves on opening day, but like we talked about yesterday, it's kind of funny. They have Spencer Strider listed as the number four starter in that rotation. I don't know what the hell they're going to do. Maybe they go to Kyle Wright. I think it's probably going to be Max Freed, and I think it probably should be Max Freed when you look at what he's done over these last couple of years. The body of work is incredible. Max Freed is, is so consistent, and when you look at his previous year's ERA, the only year where he had kind of a bad year, was 2019 where he had a 402 ERA and he happened to win 17 games that year. That's the beauty of pitching for a great team. And it's why generally player A and player B, all things being equal except team context, you take the better team context almost every single time. Things aren't almost, almost never are things exactly equal. But generally you'll take a guy who is like a Kyle Wright who can luck himself into 21 games. He was good, but I don't know if he was that good. You see that with Freed, and I know it was a few years ago the example I'm using, but 17 wins in a year where he has an above four ERA. You know, the 2020 season, he threw 11 games, he won seven of them. 2021, 28 starts, 14 wins. 2022, 30 starts, 14 wins. Every year, his ERA, 248, 304, 225. Yes, he had that 402. And the year prior, it was 294 and 381 in his rookie season, which you can't really count that 381. The dude has a 309 career ERA and a 330 FIP. That's absolutely perfect. Where you're great, where you're getting Max Freed, you're getting absolute consistency in terms of the ratios, in terms of the wins you're going to get. You're not getting crazy strikeouts from him. You're getting about average strikeout numbers, but you're getting low walk rates, which, like I said, contribute to great ratios. These last three seasons, the WHIP 101, 109, 109. That's what he's going to do for you. Like there's just. You didn't. You can write the stats down in pen, essentially, that you're getting 15, 14, 15 wins. You're getting, you know, a 22% K rate, 23% K rate. You're getting great ratios. You're getting all that stuff from, from Max Freed. And I, I honestly think that he's probably uh, maybe a little bit discounted. I feel like he falls because he's not the sexiest guy with the strikeouts. But he's going in that same range at pick 68. Again, this is 12-teamers in the month of March. He's going at pick 68. But, man, I don't know why he is really falling through so far here. And it's not maybe that far. It just feels like he should be going a little bit higher up. Like, I think he could justifiably be going somewhere in the 50s as opposed to closer to pick 70. And it would make sense as long as you, you know, figure out those strikeouts in some way. And generally... You can stream strikeouts, You can, and it's not like you're going to stream a lot of strikeouts, but you can make up those numbers if you want to by streaming. You can make them up in the early rounds or in the, subs, uh, the subsequent rounds after Max Freed if you want to take guys who do have crazy high strikeout numbers, if you want to you know, pair him with a Hunter Green or something like that. Like you, could, you can make it work, and I think that Max Freed honestly does make sense here uh, where he's going in the mid-60s. But I have him as my number 18 starting pitcher. I really like him, and I think that you guys probably should be paying attention because the price is just so good. Let's move on to number 19, and that is Mr. Joe Musgrove. I like Joe Musgrove a lot. Now, I think, honestly, there was a while with Joe Musgrove with me where I wasn't really like that sold on him long term. I guess it would have been you know when he was with the Pirates where I was like, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be all that. In the last couple of years in San Diego, he has been very, very good. It was a 318 ERA in 21. This past year was 293. He's outperforming the expected numbers a little bit, but not like a crazy amount. You're probably looking at about a half a run, three quarters of a run difference there between the ERA and the FIP. 
He's giving you pretty solid strikeout numbers, although it's not great to see the number go down, the strikeout rate go down these last couple of seasons. 2020, can't really count that necessarily, but over those eight starts, he had a 33% K rate. 2021, it was down to 27. In this past season, it was down to 25, just a tick below 25. Now, the walk rate has come down in all those years, went from 9.6 to 7.2 to 5.7, but I don't know if you know that trade-off is something I'd really love for fantasy necessarily. I love the team context. I love the consistency with the ratios these last couple of seasons that we have seen out of Musgrove. I think the Padres are going to be stupid good. Like That's what part of the equation comes down here. I think that he is going to be pitching 30-some-odd games for this team. I think there's a good chance, even though wins have never really been his forte. I mean, pitching in Pittsburgh is never going to be your forte. First couple of seasons in Houston, he was kind of a spot starter. He started here and there, more of a bullpen guy. Haven't seen as many wins as we probably would have hoped out of him in San Diego these last two seasons. 11 and 10 over the course of 31 and 30 starts. So 61 games started, 21 wins. You'd probably expect better from a guy who's given you about a three ERA. I think that will turn around this season. With the, I mean, this team, I, I think that I predicted it in the playoffs before they made any trades, before they got Xander Bogarts. I thought this team was going to make some noise and win the World Series in 2023. I can go back and find those clips if you guys want them. From the playoffs where I was saying the Padres are the team that I am looking at for this upcoming season. And I think that Musgrove will be a huge part of it. I think the wins are going to be there. The strikeouts are the only thing, really, and it's the same kind of argument with Freed. You know, you can find them in other places. It's not terrible, a 25% K rate. It's still pretty good. It's not as much as I would probably hope for. But Joe Musgrove, the interesting thing with him is that he's kind of been discounted because he broke his toe. And I believe that's what it was. I think it was broken or sprained, or I'm not sure how they classified the injury. But let me just see what what they classified it as, if it was broken or if it was what it was. Um, what did they say? It was Yeah, it was a fractured toe. He dropped a weight on it in the weight room, and the price for him immediately went down. Like, he was going before this in the 80s somewhere, generally. That's where you'd kind of always be fine in Joe Musgrove. Now he's going outside of the top 100 picks. You know, that's not going to be something that should impact him so much once it is healed. It's not like he has to ramp up his arm again or something. He can still be throwing. And in fact, he threw a bullpen session on Saturday. So he is throwing. I don't know that he's necessarily going to be there for the start of the season, but they are targeting, you know, his debut to be against Atlanta on April 6th. So it's not like he's going to or he's expected to miss a lot of time. You should still get Musgrove from the beginning of the year. And at this point, you're probably getting him at a bit of a discount. I think where I have him as the number 19 starting pitcher, this is kind of a tricky range because I feel like there's a lot of guys who are in this range that I generally do like in terms of my own rankings. But Musgrove, I think that you're pretty sure, pretty assured in the innings totals that you're going to be getting, 170, 180 innings, assuming that there's no massive setback with this toe, and I don't think there should be. I think you're going to get about 170, 180 innings out of him with at least decent strikeout numbers, 25%. It's not great, but it's not terrible. You can, again, pair him with somebody going a little bit later or a little bit earlier who gives you a bit of a boost in the strikeout category, and then you're kind of taking care of ratios, you're taking care of wins, hopefully taking care of wins, because this team should be very good, and Musgrove should be a big reason behind it. I, I really like him. If you can still get him discounted, I would definitely be trying to do that if you can, because if he's going outside the top 100 picks, then he is one of the biggest steals, I think, in all, in all of drafts. But let's keep it going, and let's talk about the next guy on the list. Another guy that will probably get me in a little bit of trouble here, that's Dylan Cease. 
I have him as my number 20 starting pitcher this season, and I'm not even sure where like the consensus is on, on Dylan Cease. I want to take a look at that, actually, and just see where like the, the Fantasy Pros expert consensus rankings have him. Probably not too far off. I can't imagine I'm too far off because there's a lot of people who do have some concerns with Dylan Cease. You know, he had a great year last year. Was he lucky? Probably a little bit he was, yeah. So he's the 14th pitcher uh, based on the ECR, the Fantasy Pros Expert Consensus Rankings. He's number 14. So I, I don't know. I got some pushback about having him at 20. I don't think it's that crazy, really. He has a massive walk problem. Like, that is something that has not gone yet. It actually got worse this past season, statistically. He went from a 9.6 walk rate to a 10.4 walk rate. The strikeout rate went from 32% down to just over 30%. It's probably not a big thing. It probably means nothing. But do I love it? No. Do I love the fact that he walks more batters than any other qualified starter in baseball? Absolutely not. Do I like the fact that his, you know, his metrics were not, not awful, but they were, you know, not a 2-2 ERA. That's what he had, and they show that he probably didn't necessarily deserve them. You know, a 310 FIP, a 350 X FIP, they're not bad numbers at all. The Sierra 348, they're not bad. But they do show that he was getting a little bit lucky last season based on what he was giving you. His 111 whip, it was that low because of how low the ERA and the batting average were for him. <clears throat> you know, the Babbitt was only at 260. But in a regular year, <clears throat> a pitcher like Dylan Cease, the whip that you're likely going to be getting out of him, probably closer to what he's done historically, which is about a 125. He had a great year. Will he do it again? Maybe he will. But at the same time, he didn't really done it before, not to this extent. You know, 2021, he was good. He had a 391 ERA. He was very good. But he was not 2-2 ERA, you know, striking out. Well, he was striking out more batters in, in 2021. Like, he was different. He was a different pitcher to some degree. But I don't necessarily think that he was better in 2022. I think he was a little bit luckier. And I think that the results favored him a little bit. He left more batters on base. He stranded 10% more batters than he did the year prior. 82% versus 73, 74%. I just am not really there based on the draft price right now for Dylan Cease. I think it's probably okay if he keeps falling like he is because he's going closer to pick 50 now. 48 in these most recent drafts. He got his he got his shit kicked in in that spring training start. Like He gave up 11 runs in a third of an inning or two-thirds of an inning. It was horrendous that'll probably push the price down a little bit i'm just hoping it gets um a little bit more cheap maybe if he goes into the 50s then i'd be down to to take him there i just i don't really want to be taking him in the 40s or in the 30s sometimes where he's going like the minimum pick 37 just in the month of march i don't really want to be taking him the strikeouts are good the strikeouts are big and you could argue that the strikeouts are going to be even more important this season considering the fact that you know there's going to be less shifts. More balls are going to get through. Those guys who do strike out more batters are probably going to be that much more valuable for you. I just don't know if I want to pay the price on a guy like Dylan Cease. And that being said, you know he's still my 20th pitcher. He's not like I don't think he's awful. I think he's still going to give you good strikeouts. I think there will still be a lot of wins on the table for him. I think Chicago is going to be a good win team. He had 13 wins in 21. He had 14 wins in 22. I do think that that is something generally that he could do again. I just don't know that I love the price considering you're probably going to be getting a, a, an above three ERA. You know, all the projections, as much as I, you know, I'm hit or miss on whether or not I like projections, depending on the player, I tend to agree with these ones. Three, four, three, five, three, seven, three, eight ERA. That's what the projections are calling for. 
I think that's probably what you're going to see from him. And I don't know that I want to be paying a top 50 overall price for it. But at the same time, my 20th pitcher, I think I think he'll be good. I just don't really – it all comes down to price. It, it really all comes down to price. I think that he is still a, a fine pitcher. I think that he's a more than fine pitcher. I think he's very good, but I just don't know that I necessarily want to be paying that steep of a price for him. You're paying the most expensive price you're ever going to pay for Dylan Cease, and I don't necessarily know if I want to be doing that. But, guys, that's going to do it for us. We did another 10 pitchers today. Going forward, I'm going to start doing these a lot more quickly. There are going to be a lot more quick hits in terms of these positions or in terms of the starting pitcher rankings. I'm going to try and get through the rest of the top, at least the top 50 on the podcast. And then, you know, the, the next 50, we'll maybe do like one podcast for the, all 50 of those names, or we'll do like an article. For sure, will be an article. Uh, I'm just figuring out exactly the way it's going to look these next couple of weeks. But for sure, we're going to talk pitching for the next few days. I hope you guys have enjoyed what we've been doing so far, trying to talk generally my thought process behind these pitchers, if I like their draft price. Let me know what you think over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Also, check out Ethos Fantasy BB. I know I've been beating that horse for a while now, but that's where all of our content is posted from, these podcasts, the It's Gone podcast. All of our different content, written and otherwise, is posted at Ethos Fantasy BB. So, guys, please do check it out. Let me know what you think. And we will see you again tomorrow to continue with pitching. But until then, take care, have a great night, and cheers, everybody.